Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. It is the middle of January, and there's snow on the ground, and it's cold, so of course we're going to be talking about summer. In fact, we are launching a brand new summer program series today, uh, providing ideas and thoughts about different programs that students can participate in based on what they're interested in, what they like to do. Uh, and this week, we're going to be talking about things for writers. So I'm excited about that. We're also going to be doing another in our series where we take you inside the admissions and financial aid offices at the institutions where those of us here at College Coach used to work. Uh, and we're going to be talking about Fordham University today and that. But before we get to those things, uh, many of you have heard about 529 plans and many of you may have also heard about prepaid tuition plans. And maybe you have a choice between doing one or the other and you're curious which one you should do. Uh, and so joining us today is my colleague, Alex Bickford, who's also a former financial aid officer at Southern New Hampshire University. Hi, Alex. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for joining us today because, as is usually the case, if I were the one explaining this to my listeners, they wouldn't learn much of value. So <laughs> you're going to take us through this, and I'm very excited um, about that. I think um, my first question really for you is just really quickly, can you tell us what a 529 plan is and what a prepaid tuition plan is? Sure. So a 529 and a prepaid tuition plan are actually both versions of a 529. Uh, 529 stands for Section 529 of the Federal Tax Code, meaning both of these plans follow the same federal tax treatment in that your contributions go in with after-tax dollars. The growth is tax-deferred, and then as long as you're used on qualified education expenses, withdrawals from either of these accounts are tax-free at the federal level. Got it. Okay. So thank you so much for establishing that. Uh, a lot of times our listeners probably have heard of these things, but you never know. So good to get that out there. What are, in your opinion, what are the most important things to consider if you're choosing, you have the option to do a straight up 529 or a prepaid tuition plan. What are the important things to consider when you're choosing between the two? Well, the first thing that you want to do is see uh, if your state offers a prepaid tuition plan. Almost every state offers a 529 plan, and even if you don't do your state's 529 plan, you're allowed to do 529 plans in other states. Prepaid tuition plans, however, for the most part, you have to do the, five to, the prepaid tuition plan that is offered within your state. And really, there's only about a dozen or so states that offer prepaid tuition plans. So the first thing is you want to make sure your state offers a plan. Got if it. your state offers a plan and you're trying to choose between the two, uh, the next thing that you want to ask yourself is the participating colleges within the prepaid tuition plan, are they colleges that I could see my child going to uh, in 
10, 15 years, however long it is before your child goes to college. Where the 529 plan can be used at any college in the United States and about 500 schools abroad uh, and have the same value, the prepaid tuition plan only offers you the value uh, that it guarantees at participating schools. And if you went out of network with a prepaid tuition plan, your rate of return would be far less. Got it. So essentially, anything, any type of prepaid tuition plan can only be used in your state at the participating schools that are in your state? To get the full value of the plan, yes. Got it. And so could you use it in other ways and not get the full value? How would that work? Sure. So you could use it uh, at a non-participating institution, which would oftentimes be a private school or an out-of-state public school. Uh, and it depends, it, it varies from plan to plan what your payout would actually be, uh, but usually it's somewhere around uh, the consumer price index or something like that. 2% is, is, is a number uh, that oftentimes is thrown around as a possible rate of return of what you'd end up with uh, versus what the real great value of the prepaid tuition plan, if you use it in network, is that it's kept up from when you purchase the plan with a rising cost of tuition at that institution over a set period of time. Got it. Yeah, I mean, to me, it doesn't make sense to do the prepaid tuition plans if your child isn't going to choose from one of those colleges. And so I guess there's a big downside. Two of, two of them that I can see. One, they don't want to go to any of the colleges that the tuition plan is uh, a participant in. And two, or two, they don't get in to one of the colleges right, that participate. Right, exactly. And that is a bigger uh, a bigger issue. Do you, uh, to the best of your knowledge and understanding that we're not talking about the individual states involved, are these ever part of the plan at a private institution? Or are these almost always the state's public sure. institutions? That's actually a great question. So there is one plan out there uh, that is called, there's really two separate instances. The, the one plan that is out there that offers uh, a prepaid tuition plan at private institutions is called the Independent 529 Plan. Uh, this is a plan that is outside of any state uh, that allows you to kind of purchase certain units of tuition uh, and of certain value of tuition at, at about 300 or so private colleges. The other example of this is the state of Massachusetts offers a prepaid tuition plan that actually isn't really a 529 plan. It's kind of got a, you know, kind of a unique uh, kind of uh, definition. Uh, anyway, there are some private colleges that participate uh, in that plan just within the state of Massachusetts. Right. Got it. So unless you have a child who knows exactly what he or she wants at an early age, this is potentially challenging. Or perhaps you feel pretty strongly that state is going to be, there are a lot of excellent choices in your state with varying levels of selectivity, and there's going to be at least one option that will work for your child. Uh, and that could make it a great choice. So I, you know, I do want to you want to understand the downsides, but also there are plenty of upsides, too, and it really kind of depends on a family's philosophy and what the goals are for college and what the best way to pay for it is, since above and beyond everything else, paying for it in a way that works for the family is much more important than you don't want to go into a ton of debt um, to, do, to do that. 
Yeah. If families the- are considering the use of mm-hmm. a 529 plan and prepaid tuition plan, one other thing to think about is if you're, if you're saying to yourself, I've got a lot of good options in state, my state offers a prepaid tuition plan, uh, one thing to ask yourself is what's going to rise faster? Uh, is the stock market going to rise faster? Uh, because that's essentially how the 529 plan is invested. Or is tuition at these state institutions going to rise faster? Because that's the guarantee with a prepaid tuition plan is that your investment of today will rise uh, along with tuition. Yeah, that, that is an interesting one to think about, too. And another interesting thing to think about is tax law and changes to that. And I'm curious if the new tax law is going to impact these plans or in what ways it might impact these plans. Sure, that's a, that's a great question. So the tax laws have an impact on a lot of different things. Uh, and the impact on, on these plans actually is only slightly for the better in these plans, which is, which is interesting. So... Um, the only difference the tax law is having on 529 plans and prepaid tuition plans specifically is that there is a new qualified education expense. So the, the old uh, tax law said that qualified education expenses were tuition fees, room and board, books and supplies uh, at any higher education institution that accepts federal financial aid. Well, the new tax law has added that up to $10,000 a year, you can withdraw from a 529 plan to pay for qualified K-12 through tuition hmm. expenses. That is so it's a unique kind of twist. Yeah, that is, that is interesting because it's not just now for college. It's also for the other, if that sticks around, right? And I guess that's another question for another day. It, it, That's exactly it. If it sticks around, and and the other thing to think about there is that, once again, if you're thinking about prepaid tuition plan or 529 plan, if you're going to use your prepaid tuition plan money to pay for K-12, through it doesn't really work as well because that would be a non-qualified, it would Mm -hmm. be a non-participating school. So once you're getting your payout would be lower, Uh, whereas in the 529 plan, uh, it would be whatever the market growth had been uh, would be a tax-free withdrawal. Uh, If you were thinking about it for that way, the 529 plan works better in that circumstance for sure. So we've we've talked through some different ways in which these plans are limiting, not limiting, and and you might be forming ideas about which one is better for you, but maybe some of our listeners are thinking, I kind of like the idea of both for a variety of reasons. Is it possible to save in both plans? Absolutely possible to save in both plans, and a lot of families do save in both plans. Uh, For instance, that family who says, you know, I've always gone to whatever name, state school out there. My kids are definitely going to go there. We've got a real tradition there, and and we're going to continue that. Uh, For families who kind of say that and are really sure the prepaid tuition plan works well for them, the prepaid tuition plan in general covers just that, tuition. There are other charges that your child is likely to have later on, room and board charges, books and supply charges, uh, that the prepaid tuition plan doesn't cover. So saving in a 529 plan is a really great option for those plans as well. Got it. All right. Well, anything that we didn't cover on this or anything you wanted to add? No, I think that that's a pretty good synopsis. There's certainly lots of changes that could be happening. Uh, so certainly keep your eyes out out there, uh, and we're happy to keep you updated. 
Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that all of our uh, college finance and admissions people do is keep up to date as as up to date as we possibly can on everything that's going on in the industry. And I think on the finance side, that's a lot more uh, demanding sometimes be just because of the laws that impact things. And I know that you guys do a really great job of that. So I really appreciate you joining me today and, and filling us all in. Well, thanks for having me, Beth. Absolutely. All right. Uh, after the break, we are going to introduce our new summer program series and with ideas for writers. So don't go away. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm so glad that you're joining us for this segment because we're introducing a new series. uh, And this one is all about summer programs. The reason that we want to talk about summer programs is because what students do with the time between the end of one school year and the beginning of another is something that colleges ask about. And they don't care specifically what you do beyond the fact that they'd really like to see you do something other than go to the pool every day or stay in the house and play video games or some version of 
nothing, basically. So uh, what we love about summer is that it's a great time to explore interests that students have, maybe get more experience in a different area, or maybe just get introduced to a specific area. And so that's what this series is all about. So joining us today is my colleague, Julia Jones, who used to work at Brandeis. Hi, Julia. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good. And thanks so much for joining us. Great to be here again. All right. Well, today we're talking about thoughts and ideas for writers. So why don't we start with maybe some formal programs. Uh, that's something I think that a lot of people find easy because you it's a program, you apply to it, then you attend the program, and it's all kind of structured. And there are some really good ones out there. What, what are some of the yeah. ones that really stand out? Yeah, I, yeah and writing is, you know, it, it's interesting because there's so many different facets even to just the writing field, too. And you think about it, kind of creative writing, um, and there's some, some big names, you know, some really great summer programs. Um, one is, is connected with the University of Iowa. It's the Iowa Young Writers Studio, so it might be familiar to some listeners just because, again, it, 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 even before I did started researching this and before I even started counseling students, um, you know, that obviously was a, a, a school I knew for, for the strength of its writing program. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's a good one. Um, and uh, there's a, a program at Middlebury College, the New England uh, Young Writers Conference. Um, it's kind of what they call their breadloaf campus, and, and again, mostly creative writing. Um, Skidmore College or Skidmore University um, has a really great program. Um, it, the Interlochen School for the Arts in Michigan is also one that has some really um, a really robust writing program as well. Um, and uh, there's an interesting program at Carleton College that uh, is is more writing, not necessarily creative writing. It kind of goes over more mechanics and expository writing. So it's a kind of a good, maybe a good intro um, program for students too who are just starting to explore explore that. So um, that's a great one. Um, yeah. Um, Emerson College is, is in, in Boston is uh, also has a creative writing program. What's interesting about Emerson is that they are a school that does, um, you know, they also focus on journalism and marketing and PR, and they also have a journalism um, program. And, and so for some students, it, you, part of it may be thinking about what type of writing do you want to approach? You know, are you, mm-hmm. if you want to do creative writing, there's some good options that I mentioned. Um, Emerson has both creative writing and also a journalism program, and then there are other schools that have, you know, specifically journalism um, uh, summer programs as well. Northwestern is one that has a good program, Stanford. So it, it's, there's a pretty much a wealth of, of opportunities if you want to go the summer program route. Um, sure. You know, not, not required, of course, and not something that you have to do, but, but I think that can be a really good way to, to, you know, to get some, some focus. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, any advice that you have for students applying to programs like this uh, in terms of, you know, what to be thinking about? Sure. Well, obviously, I mean, some of them are going to be more selective than others, and that's the case for any summer program that you're looking at. So um, it's why this is a great time of year to start um, thinking about this, uh, even though, you know, while snow is still on the ground for many people, you know, it's kind of a nice thought to be thinking about summer, but it's also, it may feel like it's a little too early, and it's not. Um, you know, a lot of schools will have require have applications. You know, for writing programs, some of the more selective ones, they want to see samples of your work. They want to see evidence of your, you know, uh, budding talent as a writer. So, so there mm-hmm. may, they may be asking for a writing sample or even in the 
the questions that they ask about why you want to attend the program, you know, they're probably going to be looking at your writing ability in that in that respect too. So, um, so I think it's it's as you're starting to plan and look at programs that interest you, you know, spending some some good quality time looking at the application, seeing what's required, spend you know, seeing what you have maybe already if you already have kind of a little bit of a portfolio of writing um, that you've done maybe for your school literary magazine or newspaper or other things, that that will be useful you know, in terms of really being able to, to add that to your application. Absolutely. I mean, it's hard to really make a case for yourself being accepted to a writing program if your writing is not very good. So you want to make sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, obviously, you, you want to show your raw talent. It may not be perfect. That's why you're doing the program. But yeah, you've got to, you've got to have something, something in there. Absolutely. And of course, the more selective, the better the writing has to be. That's, I don't think we're yeah. telling our listeners anything that wouldn't already occur to them. So we did, you know, yeah. we did mention both of us that a writing program like this one is not for everyone. And one of the challenges with some of these programs is they are, you know, quite expensive. But mm-hmm. also, I don't know if they're necessarily the right thing for every student, no pun intended. So what are some other thoughts and ideas that you've had and that collectively as a team we've discussed that might be good for students interested in getting more experience in writing? Sure, sure. Well, I mean, one of the benefits and in, in some ways the beauty of writing is that it's the kind of thing you, you don't need a formal program to do. You know, you can, you can write mm-hmm. with a pen and paper or, um, you know, or a laptop and, and just start to go. So, so I think, you know, there are things that you can do that are, you know, uh, will help you to, to, to broaden your talent um, and, or to, and to also demonstrate your talent to, to colleges in the application process. Um, you know, there are competitions. There are writing competitions that happen, um, and some of them are, you know, not necessarily during the summer, but that can be something, you know, students can use the summer to, to work towards. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the National Council of Teachers of English have, um, N, or their acronym is NCTE, they, they do um, awards for writing. Um, and, uh, you know, there's also a Young Writers Awards um, through Bennington College um, as well. So, and, and there are others. Your English teacher, high school English teacher, can also be a really great resource for, you know, knowing what are, are there writing competitions that you can prepare for so that that could be a really great, you know, project for you know, for the summer, too, if you really want to, you know, kind of um, can do that. You can also just take a writing class at a local community college. Like, I mean, that's, yep. you know, sometimes doing kind of, you know, a composition or a, a class like that, just anything that, again, is going to give you that um, that experience, too. So Yeah, um, absolutely. So yeah, I think there's, yeah. that's great advice. And, and um, you know, one of the things that we do say is if you're going to do something on your own, um, you want to try to find ways to quantify it. So mm-hmm. that just spending the summer journaling isn't really something you can put on your application. But if you spend your summer journaling, maybe it's a blog um, that you're mm-hmm. putting online. Just make sure you're writing yep. about things that you are okay with admissions seeing <laughs> if they decide to check it out, right? But then yep. I love the idea of then entering your work in a competition because then you've got something that is tangible that is the result of that work. And doing something like taking a writing course at a local school is also something tangible. You may be doing your own writing in addition to that, but at least it gives you something uh, that you can put on the application that will the colleges will sort of recognize as as real. And one note for our listeners, we do a recap of every 
episode of the show, and we'll be putting some links to these competitions and things that Julia is mentioning uh, into that update. So if you're scrambling to write it down, take, check out our website, check out our blog, um, and you can find the, the links in that blog. There was something yep. that you mentioned to me that I had actually never heard of before, and I'm not going to attempt to say it. I'm going to let you do it, but I know that it's an <laughs> It's like it's not an acronym, but it's sort of a, I don't know what you call that. Yeah, uh, and I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce it correctly either, but it, I'll try. It's I mean what I and I've heard of it from actually a couple of friends who've um, mentioned it, and and it's called NaNoWriMo, N A N O W R I M O, and it's basically short a shortened version of National Novel Writing Month. Um, so NaNo. Ride mo, I guess. <laughs> so, Got it. Um, it, Makes it's sense. a month. That it's it's in November, um, and the goal is, you know, it's for anybody who has, you know, a, you know, dream or a goal of of maybe writing a novel, and so it's kind of it gives you kind of a structure. You know, you do thirty days of writing, and and I don't know if you can actually, you know, how many people can actually write a novel in thirty days, but it's, um, you know, there is a young adult program too, and there it's, it's a pretty interesting website um, to that has, and there's a young adult section. There are really good resources for writing. Um, so, so while that is in November, which is obviously not may not be the most ideal time for students because you're in school and you've got lots of other things on your on your plate, but it is you know, and so it is something that maybe over the summer you if you have you know, an, a novel in you and you've got some ideas, um, you can maybe prepare for that. Go onto the website, do some brainstorming, some character sketching and, and things like that to, you know, if that's something you want to, to tackle. Um, so it's, it's kind of a yeah. cool thing and I think it's, uh, you know, that again could be a really fun way to, um, you know, to, to, to something fun to plan for. Again, a lot of English teachers, you know, are, are probably familiar with this, so I think if you, you know, obviously if you are a, a potential young writer, um, you're probably Hopefully, would will have a good relationship with your English teacher, and that she might he or she might be a really good one to to check in with. But uh, but they do um, that you know that could be a really f- a fun project. Yeah, and it's very cool, and I'd never heard of it before. And and I do love the idea of just visiting the website because there are some great tips and suggestions for writing. And sometimes that's half the battle is just um, finding some ideas there. And some other things that we talked about: um, getting an internship, maybe at a local newspaper yep. or an sure. advertising or PR or marketing, right? Where they have they need copywriters, they need someone to work on press releases. Um, yep. These are all great ways, if you're already a good writer, to put your skills to use. Um, mm-hmm. We yeah, see lots yeah. and lots and lots of writing out there, and we know that they're, not everyone's a great writer. So if you are a good one, people probably could use your skills. Um, exactly. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's not just even in journalism. It can be in, you know, in any – obviously, writing is a skill – Field. So if you're looking for internships, don't just limit it to newspapers or, you know, publications. You can, you know, yeah, maybe look at, at companies or people that in your family's network that might, you know, have a PR department or a place where, you know, a write, someone who's a really good writer behind the scenes can, you know, could do some really good work. Yeah, and I mean, there are always a need for maybe someone is working on a project that someone who you know or your parents know is working on a project at work that is very writing focused and they need someone to 
proof their work. You know, maybe this is um, a part-time job you could create for yourself. If you are yeah. a really, really good with grammar and copy editing, um, there's always that piece. Um, any other sort of out-of-the-box ideas about things that students can do that basically yeah. don't necessarily cost any money but give them something writing-focused to be working yeah. on? Well, I think if you have other friends or peers or if you know other people who, um, you know, might, you know, also share your interest, which often is the case, you know, you could start your own little kind of writing, you know, writing group or writer circle um, and maybe share, you know, share projects or even write on themes or, diff- you know, that could be kind of a mini, you know, something that, you know, you've started. It could be something that could continue through the school year um, and might even be able to be sponsored by your school. So that's that's something to, um, you know, to look into. Um, even volunteering, you know, if you like working with younger kids and want to, um, you know, maybe do some do writers workshops or help them. Sometimes after school or, or day day camp programs might be um, a way to, you know, to help help other other kids kind of um, get excited about writing too. So mm-hmm. so those are those are ways to you know to really do something that you if you already you know something that you love and share it with someone else, um, whether it be peers who also have a same a similar interest or or younger kids, you know, that that you may want to help. Yeah, no, I love all of those ideas. And to piggyback on the other idea of maybe keeping your own blog, maybe what you could do is have those other kids or your peers also mm-hmm. writing, and maybe you're creating a writer's circle online. Or yep. you know, The sky is kind of the limit is, is I, I think, our overall message here. And it's it can be as I said at the beginning of the segment, the summer programs that you apply to and pay for are in many ways the easiest, at least from the perspective of you're going to, you know what the program is, you know what the application is, you know what the fee you're going to pay is. And beyond that, you don't really have to think about it that much. But the interesting thing is that sometimes the opportunity you create for yourself is going to be the more interesting option. So, mm-hmm. you know, the more you can think about it from that perspective, uh, I think the the better off you could be. Um, yeah. And, I and they know, resonate really, more with, yeah. with admissions officers, too, which is, you know, not the only reason to do something, but obviously why, we, why we're talking about it here. Of, you know, I love to see a student who's kind of created something for him or herself and, you know, taken the initiative and, and that, you know, again, that, says, that speaks more than to just your writing ability. That speaks to, you know, your leadership as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Totally agree. Julia, thank you so much. There was some really great stuff in here, um, and I really appreciate you getting it together for us and, and sharing it with our listeners. Sounds great. Well, thanks so much. Thanks again for having me. Absolutely. And as a reminder, go to our blog. And the website for our blog is blog.getintocollege.com. That's blog.getintocollege.com. There are tons of great blogs, but if you are interested in the links to the things that Julie and I have been talking about today, you will find them in the recap of the show. Uh, so, So definitely check that out. All right. We are going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're taking you sort of uh, inside the admissions office at Fordham University. So don't go away. 
If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, and thanks for joining us for our third segment today. Before I get to taking you metaphorically inside the admissions office at Fordham, I did want to do a school spotlight, which we try to do every week. We don't always fit it in, but this week we do have time. And I wanted to share uh, information about Occidental College with all of you. So Occidental's in Los Angeles. It's a small liberal arts college, but it's in the middle of a big city, which is pretty rare. And it's unique in many ways, not the only one. So there are 21 un- Uh, 2,100 undergrads at Occidental, and all graduating seniors are required to complete a comprehensive examination in the spring of their senior year or produce a senior comp, which might be something like a major creative project that demonstrates mastery in their particular fields. Uh, And students who are passionate about world affairs will really find no greater opportunity than Oxy at the UN. And Oxy students will for an entire fall semester, live in New York City, 
take two diplomacy-themed classes, and complete a full-time internship with a UN-related organization. So that is a really cool opportunity. If you're interested in world affairs, absolutely something you should check out. Um, Off-campus, there's great uh, astronomy and engineering classes taught at nearby Caltech. Uh, You can also soak up LA's pretty famous art, music, and you know, Hollywood scene, for lack of a better word. Um, There's a 10 to 1 student to faculty ratio, so the classes at Occidental are small, and no class will ever have more than 50 students, which is also very cool. One last cool thing to know about the school, they have been committed to diversity for a really long time, and as a result, over 40% of the student body identifies as students of color. So if you're looking for a diverse place with a international outlook and um, a place where you're really going to be able to hit your academic stride, I would strongly suggest that you check out Occidental. All right. uh, On to the segment I promised. I'm very excited to welcome my colleague, Tova Tolman, who worked at Barnard College, but more importantly for today, also did admissions at Fordham. Hi, Tova. Hi, Beth. How are you? Um, good. Don't be mad, but I'm actually a little hot. The heat has returned to the south. Uh, well, Tova has recently relocated <laughs> to the south, and I am mad because it is not hot here and there is snow on the ground. So we're going to skip right past that. Um, all right. So in a former life, before you were here at uh, College Coach, and actually I didn't mention Montclair State, which is another institution that you worked at, um, you worked at Fordham actually in New York, which is always exciting. And um, as I was telling our listeners, we're doing this series where we talk about uh, what admissions or financial aid is like at the different institutions where we have worked in the past. And so I guess my first question for you about Fordham is, what's the process? So applications come in. Are you reading them as they come in? Are you waiting until after the deadline? Take us through that basic, uh, those basic pieces of the admissions process there. Sure. I'd say like at all the places we've worked, it kind of depends a little bit on exactly what time of year it is, where we are in our cycle. The applications are allowed to be submitted as early as, as whenever Common App opens, right? August 1, typically, mm-hmm. applications start coming in. You'll inevitably have that eager beaver student who somehow found, it, found a way to print an application and shows up with a paper copy July 1. So while we will happily receive those applications as they roll in through August and September, honestly, well into October, we're still busy out on the road traveling, having a, a, a recruiting events on campus for prospective students. And really, we never dove into reviewing those applications until well into November when we were all back in the office. Uh, Usually, we'd sit down for a meeting maybe the first week of November and all get on the same page, review our institutional priorities for that year. And while the operations team was busy putting all these different uh, components together, even when they come in electronically, matching the recommendations to the transcripts to the right applications so that they were ready for us, uh, by, by that first, second week of November is when we would actually dive in and start reviewing only the early applications, not the regular decisions, those we would totally hold off on until we finished all of the early rounds. 
Got it. Okay, so that's good stuff to know. In terms of the actual reading itself, you guys reading at home? Are you reading in the office? Is there a particular order in which you're reviewing the different materials that are in the application? I know that at Penn, we always read, looked at, the first thing I looked at was the transcript. And I think for most people, that's the first place they start. But I'm, I'm always curious. And maybe that's actually an admissions officer to an admissions officer choice, too. Maybe it isn't yeah. office policy. Sure. Uh, well, I should also maybe even take one step back further. I used to think that this was a given, so I would also skip over this, and that uh, where did I take my files from? But I'm realizing the more offices I've worked in and the more colleagues I've spoken with, I'll point out that we would review applications regionally. Some of the offices I've worked at, everyone took from a bucket, if you will, a proverbial bucket or a literal one. <laughs> but um, we did start with our actual territories where we were assigned regionally. Uh, I'd probably start by looking to see, okay, who in my territory, which school groups look like they might be near complete. And I would try and review as many of the applications from that one school at the same time that I could so that I was most familiar with that school's curriculum, what did a rigorous curriculum look like at that high school, and I wasn't doing as much back and forth between, um, okay, I'm in Westchester right now at, at uh, this school versus, oh, nope, I'm back in Bergen County, New Jersey right now at this school. So I tried to read as much as I could within school groups. And where I began was actually I would, I would first, before I got to the transcript, I tried to sort of center myself in just a little bit of context. So, okay, what part of the country am I in right now? What high school am I at? Uh, what is the student's background? Uh, what do the parents do? Are there parents? Uh, where, how were the parents educated? Give me just a little bit of context from what I'm looking at here. And then you're right. Absolutely, after that, I would dive right into the transcript. I'd skip past all the other stuff, whether it was back when we were on paper. I would literally flip past the pages that might have come first of the actual application, or when we were reading online, I'd toggle past anything and go straight to the transcript. What yep. is the curriculum? What is the rigor? How is the student doing in those classes? And how does that all compare to what's available to that student in the high school? Then Got after it. the transcript, I'd say, you know, it might have dependent on, on what I found as to uh, what I, I would go through next. Probably after that, I would go through order by order as to how it was organized in the actual file. And our electronic reading was similar to the paper reading. So from there, I'd probably go back to page one of the actual application and go through what the student has shared with us with their activities, how are they involved. Then from there, I'd look at the student's writing and review their essay. From there, probably the letters of recommendation. And believe it or not, I might not get to, to test scores until after that. Um, sometimes hmm. you couldn't help but notice them a little earlier when they might have been self-reported. Uh, on the on the application, maybe some high schools include them on the transcript, but I'm not so sure I would always purposely seek out those test scores before I didn't have a, a better understanding of everything else in the student's file. Yeah, so that's interesting because, um, and that's why I love that we do this because when I was at Penn, we always did the review of the kind of numbers piece first. We looked at the transcript, the grades, the rigor, and the test scores sort of collectively and then and the yeah. grades and then we dove mm -hmm. into the rest so it's interesting to me that you mm -hmm. might read without really thinking so much about the the test scores until a little bit later um, and just an interesting nuance I don't know that it means anything one way or the other but just kind of interesting um, mm -hmm. 
now that you've, they've all been read, the, the files are read, how are mm-hmm. decisions made at Fordham? Because this varies also from school to school, and I'm curious about the decision-making process there. Sure. Uh, that's a, a great question, as I would say that. That just does change a little bit from school to school. I'd say the, the selective, highly selective schools I worked at, like Fordham, were all pretty similar. And then when you get to some of those less selective state schools, that's where you really start to see a difference in terms of that review process. Uh, for the most part, re- files were reviewed by that territory uh, person. They weren't automatically given a second review like they would have been at some of the really highly selected schools that I worked at. Uh, We would look to uh, partners, whether it be uh, a veteran member of the team you might have been paired with or a formal committee for sometimes a a little bit more discussion. Uh, A lot of those borderline cases uh, outside perhaps of our a little bit uh, more exact rubric or, you know, this is a real shoe-in or, gosh, the student's really missing the mark academically. We're worried about them being successful here academically. For everything in the middle, there was a lot more discussion. And we would uh, formally get together in a group, uh, not maybe as formal of a committee as, uh, as some of the other schools I've worked at, but there was a lot of committee discussion, a lot of checking in, uh, getting some other opinions, uh, really deferring to some of that majority opinion when it came to those borderline cases of, gosh, what, what, are, what are we thinking here in terms of balancing institutional priorities with the student's fit with Fordham and how we could just see the this, this student here? And then sometimes there might be some deference given to other special circumstances. Maybe uh, the student's looking at a particular program where we need some faculty input or uh, some audition or interview uh, to take place, like the very competitive theater and dance programs. And sometimes we get a little bit of input from faculty, from the visual arts faculty members as well. And uh, I'd say all of those pieces would come together. Decisions would then get made. And then we'd hold look where we were at and right off and go back and make adjustments. <laughs> right. And I think that happens at most schools as well, where you go through, you make a bunch of decisions and, and not everyone is necessarily all in one place when those decisions are being made. And then you go, you take a look at how is the overall class shaped up? Do we need more of this and less of that? And that's when that kind of revision process goes, the, the shaping sure. of the class, right, goes, exactly. um, you go to work on that stuff. When you made final, when you made decisions, was that up to mm-hmm. you and your region to, to make the final decision? Is there someone, you know, doing a double check on that and, and approving it before it even gets into the admit pile? Or is it more that those were reviewed or maybe not reviewed after the fact? And if you said yes, then that stood. I'd say it depends depend how uh, borderline of a case it was. Uh, some of those more obvious decisions um, weren't necessarily needing to be uh, reviewed individually. There was definitely sort of a, a spot-checking here and there, uh, review of the overall pool. Certainly everything was then checked again during um, that shaping time that you spoke of, which is what we called it as well. We had a whole week typically dedicated to shaping that class after we uh, if you could see me, I'm using air quotes when I say finish the decisions. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, I'd say that that regional representative does have a fair bit of latitude within the more extreme cases on either end. Uh, I'd say everything in the middle, though, was, was given uh, a bit more of a careful review, uh, whether a formal second read or a committee decision. 
Got it. Okay, so that's interesting. And then what about the general profile of a student where you would open up the file and think, yes, this is a kid that is not hard uh, to make a case for? Who are those kids at Fordham? Sure. Uh, the academic profile certainly was, was there was such a thing as being above average academically. So where I previously come from, highly selective institutions where it was impossible to be above average. Uh, yep. Any situation where the student, you know, had near perfect test scores and near perfect grades in a, you know, incredibly rigorous curriculum, uh, there wasn't going to be a whole lot of discussion as to whether or not we were going to admit that student. That student's going to be getting in. It's more a question of, and a lot of discussion as to, okay, now with what merit scholarship? So we might sort of put that student in the admit pile, but now we have to perhaps nominate for a certain scholarship that we might want to designate or another committee to review. Are we going to nominate the student for honors, perhaps? Should we want to include the student in our presidential scholarship review process? Uh, so we'd have perhaps some further conversation whether or not that student was going to be admitted, less of a, less of a, a head-scratcher there. Although, even in those real obvious situations, that essay would get read quite carefully. Those letters of recommendation would be you know, really scrutinized as those, as those could be the pieces that would help us determine as what level of scholarship we wanted to nominate this student for. And, and what would you say would make a student above average academically at Fordham? Would, could, is there you know, grades or particular mark of rigor that would, you, would make, you would say, oh, yeah, this kid is definitely above our average in our pool? Ah, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it would it would get more and more uh, impressive each year. I, I fear, uh, you know, it's been goodness, many years now, five years, six years since I left the office. I'm I'm scared to say what that profile sure. is like today. Um, That's say, fair. You know, a student who has above 700 in each of the SAT, above that 32 or so mark, 33 or so mark of the ACT almost all A's, if not all A's, in a mostly honors AP type curriculum. You know, that, that's a, a reasonable, a reasonable uh, description of what would be above average. Does that, sure. how, however, there's a, a quite a thick pool, a deep pool of students who fit that profile, so I couldn't say every student who fits that profile is necessarily getting that top scholarship. Uh, but that's certainly a strong place to begin. Got it. Okay, so that's good. And again, we're talking about the high flyers. We're not saying that the average applicant to Fordham is above 700 and, and you know, yes. the AP curriculum yes. and all of that. We're saying those are your high flyers. And um, exactly. anything that, so leaving aside grades and test scores and things like that, um, and, you know, you can go online and see what their averages are, uh, that information is available, but what about the intangible stuff? Are there things that mm. when they showed up on a student's record, um, and maybe the answer is no, but, but are there some common themes of things that you thought, oh yeah, this is a kid who, um, who would, is a real fit here, that I see the fit between Fordham mm. and this student? Sure. I'd say there were a lot of different types of that kind of student, more so than perhaps some of the other places I've worked, because Fordham was a lot of different things to a lot of different students. Keep in mind, there are two different campuses with three different undergraduate colleges. One's in Manhattan, where you tend to have a little bit more of a uh, culturally aware student. Maybe your, your, your hipster, if you will, is going to fit in a little bit better there than the, the Bronx campus up at Rose Hill, where maybe... 
it's a little bit more Joe College there, uh, a little bit more rah-rah and your traditional college campus feel. I'd say some of these fit pieces do come through in the students' extracurricular activity choices and the writing style that they, that they have, what the recommendation letters are saying. Uh, a lot of times you'd see uh, themes of service, commitment to others popping out. Uh, within their activities, within the letters of recommendation. As a Jesuit university, uh, commitment to serving men and women for others is is a big part of what Fordham's all about, as well as that sort of restlessness, that idea of magic within a student, the more. That student who's sort of demonstrating that regardless of where they're at academically, they're always reaching to better themselves and uh, to see, gosh, how can I make this world around me a little bit better? How can I be improving myself as there's real no sense of perfection? And some of those themes would come through regardless of which campus they were looking at, which program within our our two campuses that they were looking at. You'd see a real restlessness with a commitment to serving others coming through in uh, a number of places of their application. Yeah, and actually, I'm intrigued by that. It would would that be in their potentially? You'd see it in their letters of recommendation, and maybe also mm-hmm. in uh, would it show up in their writing? Is that a big place where you might see that? Sure, I say recommendation letters sometimes more than the the writing, uh, without having those short supplemental questions. Uh, sometimes you can get that from the personal statement, but there isn't as much of an opportunity to. So it wasn't necessarily a problem if it wasn't coming through the essay you might then see it in the letters of recommendation. Um, but also in, in that little short 150 characters that you get to describe what you do within your activities, you'd be surprised how how rich a student can make that short little description. And some of those themes can come through even there to really get a sense of the impact that they're making within the activities that they've chosen to list. Got it. All right. Well, Tova, this has been super helpful, and I I really appreciate all the insight into the way things are at Fordham. I I know that it has been a little bit since you've been there, but my guess is it hasn't changed too substantially since then. Um, So thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Beth. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Well, I want to say thanks to Tova and to all of my guests. Uh, Next week, we are going to be doing uh, another in our summer series. This time, we're going to talk about internships. Uh, We're also going to be answering your questions, whether they are admissions-related or college finance-related. And if you have questions, uh, send them to us, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. That's the email address. Again, it's gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. And next week, I did forget to mention that Ian is going to be hosting. Um, I will be back. I'm hoping to be back a lot in the the winter and spring and for the remainder of the year. Um, The other thing that I did want to mention is if you haven't checked it out, we have a Huffington Post blog series for families interested in uh, applying to Ivy League colleges. I think it's a good... exploration of the kinds of achievements that colleges at that level are looking for in successful applicants. So you might want to take uh, take a look at that series if you just Google Huffington Post, who gets into Harvard or Huffington Post and my name, Elizabeth Heaton, um, that series should come up for you. Um, visit our archives, visit our blog. These are all free, great resources for you uh, and um, hopefully be very, very helpful to you. We're also on uh, Pinterest, we're in LinkedIn uh, and free downloads of this show are also available for you on iTunes. And if you do access it there, If you could rate us while you're there, that would be great. Uh, 
Uh, And don't forget, we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. We'll be right back.